Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now, at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Breaker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983. Get some sunlight in the morning, drink some good water, get some sleep, have some sex, move your body, you know, like get to the basics. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the podcast about the people, places, and things we love about Austin. Our podcast is from the feature staff at the Austin American Statesman, and we're sponsored by Copenhagen Furniture. I'm Matthew Odom, and this week on the podcast, we talk with Onnit CEO Aubrey Marcus. Marcus has dedicated his company to helping people stride into the best versions of themselves. The Westlake High School graduate and former star basketball player started his quest toward self-improvement as a teenager and later founded his company on the mission of total human optimization. The Austin-based company has grown over the past eight years from a supplement company focused on cognitive performance to a global force in the health and wellness space, incorporating supplements, exercise, and mental engagement practices to reach peak performance. The author of the New York Times best-selling book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, Marcus hosts a popular podcast on personal growth and spirituality and has led weekend seminars that attempt to empower attendees to achieve their best selves. I met up with Marcus at Onnit headquarters to talk about basketball, fear, self-judgment, and the keys to total human optimization. Uh, Austinites are familiar with Westlake High School for their famous athletes, Drew Brees uh, and others. You're a fellow Westlake athlete Um, but you know might not be as famous as drew Brees, but you are maybe one of the most successful cats to come out of westlake high school what what were you doing when you were a teen at westlake how were you engaging i was just trying to play basketball and get laid (laughs) i mean that was pretty much my my goal i mean i was obviously always interested in writing and interested in the pursuit of philosophy and you know the study of psychology, but I really hadn't opened up the ideas about spirituality. And, and, um, so it was really very much focused on the body, getting myself in peak physical performance for the basketball court. And then also, um, when I needed to show up mentally, getting myself in top mental performance and then, um, miserably failing at my dating life at the time as I was understanding on the harsh learning curve about social dynamics as well. And, um, so, but it was overall a great experience. You know, I really enjoyed moving here from California and going to Westlake and I got to play three years of varsity basketball and, um, play with some great guys and watch Drew Brees work extra hard in the weight room. I still have those memories of him doing front squats by himself you know, just a couple times a week when nobody was doing front squats. I mean, this is 1997, you know, like that wasn't a thing. And, uh, and he was in there doing them. So earned, earned my respect in many ways. What were you doing when you say you were trying to get better physically and mentally? I know you had a bit of a regimen that you were messing with trial and error. Um, maybe even through the family influence, what were you doing to try and optimize physically at a young age? 
A lot of different things, honestly. So <clears throat> from the physical performance side, plyometric training, which is something that everybody knows about now, not everybody knew about it then. You know, so that was something that was new. They actually had these things called strength shoes. I don't know. Oh, if I anybody, had them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it had like a platform oh, in, yeah. the, in the front and you would do like explosive exercise with those. So I was trying to, um, trying to get my vertical up and doing different types of exercises that were a little bit fringe at that point. Like, you know, dropping and then exploding, like landing and reacting and, and some of that fast twitch training. And then my stepmom was the nutritional doctor for uh, the all Pat Riley's teams in the 80s. That was the Lakers in the 90s. That was the Knicks in the 2000s. That was the heat. And so she had a pretty intimate look at what different supplements could help, you know, basketball players perform. So I was taking adaptogens and I was taking bee pollen and I was taking all these different things that are now, you know, you can find a lot of the on it formulas I was taking as a, as a kid playing high school ball. You know, sometimes we young people rebel by pushing back against the thing that their parents put on them. Was any of this stuff, it sounded like stuff that you were, you were into and that you wanted to experiment with. Well, when you're, when your stepmom has the clout of like Pat Riley being her homie, you know, and like you're getting courtside seats to games and stuff like, and I'm trying to be a basketball player. If I rebelled against that, I would be rebelling against the thing that I held most sacred in all life. Right. You know, so that one was pretty easy, but you know, when my dad would get on my case about like rebounding harder, I'm like, dad, when did you ever rebound dad? You know, like, like what's your, what's, what's the deal? So I certainly had those different elements, but, um, you know, my family was, um, they were very intellectual and very like libertarian in their approach about offering me these opportunities, but they it wasn't one of those stories where they were, you know, on my case all the time. Did they have, did your dad in particular have any kind of ideas for you in your future? Like what you should be doing? Yeah. You wanted, yeah. You wanted me to, you know, be a bond trader, or like trade financial derivatives or do something that he understood. Mm -hmm. And he was a futures trader. So he was going to hook me up with the homies at Goldman Sachs and I was going to get some, uh, job, which to me would have been life sucking, miserable pathway to hell, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, would have been a sure success. Um, but I always, you know, knew that I wanted to chart my own course. And do you, where do you think something like that comes from with a parent that is that their fear of just, we want, it's not necessarily that I need you to be like me or do this thing, but I'm worried that you're not going to succeed. And this is a path I know that leads to success. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not trusting your kids. And I think it's also, um, you know, you think about his homies, his friends, you know, and I think the ego gets really involved in your child. Like you feel responsible for your child. So if your child does good, you get excited. Oh, what school did they get accepted to? Oh, what job do they have? But if you can tell all your friends, oh, my kid went to Harvard and now he's working at Goldman Sachs. Everybody goes, oh, ho, ho, pats on the back, smoke a cigar. You win. Good job, parent, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of idea rather than, Hey, is your kid happy? Like, are they doing well in their heart? You know, those questions are not the questions that you find most commonly. Um, are they doing what they're here to do? Or are they doing something they're passionate about? You know, that's something that needs to change and is changing, I think, in kind of the cultural zeitgeist. And when did you start cultivating kind of a, a spiritual mentality or when did you first recognize kind of a longing to understand something outside of yourself? I, I was completely clueless and actually antagonistic to spirituality. I was like, what is this? I don't, I don't care. And then, um, but I had enough respect for the Native American traditions of the vision quest that I was like, okay, you know, some of the 
some of my historical heroes, you know, Crazy Horse and these people that I would read about and understand the stories. And we were always steeped in a kind of loose Native American uh, appreciation and admiration. Um, so when the opportunity to take a vision quest came to me after high school, I said yes with not uh, any small bit of trepidation. But then I did the vision quest, which involved psilocybin, which is the psychedelic ingredient in uh, what they call magic mushrooms, which is now being clinically studied by Johns Hopkins and a variety of different things for a lot of clinical applications, but has been traditionally used in vision quests for, I don't know, thousands of years. Um, And what I experienced there was direct contact with the spirituality that I could no longer ignore. This was not an intellectualized form of spirituality or a, um, a liturgical kind of recipe for how you access it by going to this building with this structure, these arches, or the stuff that I didn't understand. It was actually a contact with spirituality itself, and that, that changed my life. When you decided, at what stage did you decide to form on it? What had you been messing around with business-wise? What did, you, what, what did your life look like at the time? you decided to form on it. And we're talking about these kind of two parts of you, which are one, which is the spirituality and kind of the self-improvement physically. What was the idea behind it? What, what did your life look like at the time? How did that all come about? I was trying everything, man. Literally everything that I could from, I worked for a gold mining company. I sold sex toys. I was in skincare. I did uh, oil and gas. I did... Uh, pharmaceutical you know like um there was a company in edmonton that i was working with that was developing like novel therapeutic treatments for ovarian cancer like all kinds of crazy things that i was just dabbling in nothing being particularly successful Uh, i even had the idea of creating a a nail polish line for mma fighters because i saw them starting to put nail polish on to keep their nails strong and look fancy so i was like oh that's a cool idea i tried everything but nothing i really had my heart into What I had my heart into was getting a little bit better tomorrow than I am today, getting, being a little bit better today than I was yesterday. And that was a path that I'd carried, you know, all the way from my youth. And so forming on it was like, all right, well, here it goes. This is the thing that I love the most. This is the thing that I'm the most passionate about, which is pressure. Because if you fail at the thing you're most passionate about, it doesn't leave you with as many outs. Whereas if my nail polish company failed, who cares? Mm -hmm. I don't care. If the gold mine didn't pan out and get any gold, which it didn't, okay, who cares? <laughs> you know, like there's more gold elsewhere, you know, but this was, this was what I was really called to do. And so, uh, I took the, I took the leap and it's, you know, been one of the greatest blessings of my life that I have. So, I mean, in a sense, did you find a way to incorporate what it is you wanted to find for yourself as a business model or something that you could provide other people and what made you think that it would be something that other people would be interested in following? Well, I could tell that it worked, you know, because I knew that the supplements that my stepmom had given me and the, the ones that I had researched made an impact. I could tell my brain was sharper when I took the supplements for cognitive improvement. I could tell my body responded better and I had more stamina when I took the supplements for physical improvement, but they were still for, for the brain alone. It was 10 different ingredients. And that was a pain in the ass to take. So I was like, if we combined all of these things that I know are effective into one and then went to the research and found the exact right amounts and the perfect combination, we could make something that could really advance and revolutionize the field. Because at that point, everything was, most of the things were just single ingredient supplements still. 
And so by combining them with kind of this unique approach, I believe that we could create something that would disrupt the market and be a lot more convenient than trying to piece these things together, you know, one bottle at a time. And that was really um, what led to Alpha Brain, which is our flagship product. And, um, you know, not only could we feel it working, but we put it through the test with two clinical trials with the Boston Center for Memory and showed against uh, placebo controls and double-blind randomized trials that it does, in fact, improve cognitive performance. When did you guys release Alpha Brand? When did you sell your first bottle of Alpha Brand? July 2011. And how many were you selling that first year? Oh, man, we sold, well, we sold through. I mean, our first order was 100,000 capsules. We sold that in about 36 hours, and then we're out of stock for a while, and then that was 200,000 capsules, and we sold that in 36 hours when that came in, and then uh, the next order was 500,000, and then it was a million, and that all went through in the first year. Do you think is, and how many products do you guys have now? I mean, there's supplements, there's body care, there's... Yeah, there's a bunch of different stuff. I'd say there's about 25 core products. And so were you surprised by the number of hands that went up in the class when you kind of made the suggestion, hey, who wants to, who wants to get better? I think it's a fundamental human drive. But I think the, the thing that prevents that is uh, one, skepticism, and one, you know, access to resources. I mean, it's easier to drink a Red Bull than it is to, um, you know, buy a bottle of Alpha Brain. Well, Alpha Brain is going to work for 15 doses if you get a 30 count, or you'd have to get 15 Red Bulls or something like that. And it, and it just feels different. You know, it's something that isn't a stimulant-based performance enhancer. So uh, it was about education, but I think the drive is there. I think all of us feel what it feels to be on. It feels how enjoyable it is to be at our best. So I wasn't surprised at that. But um, I was, you know, really happy to see how many people were willing to take the leap and try these exotic combinations of herbs and nutrients and vitamins and, uh, and give them a chance. And as the supplement part of the company grew, you guys started introducing the Onnit Academy, the gym, the other facilities that you have here. Was that an organic thing or had you thought early on? You had charted where you wanted this thing to, to grow. Like how, how has the company and its different facets grown? Well, I understood early on that, you know, just supplements aren't enough. There's no magic pill that's going to fix everything. Like everything is interrelated. And that's really what I talk about in the book that I published last year, Own the Day, Own Your Life. And it really talks about how everything is interconnected. And so you can't just take supplements and ignore your diet. You can't just have your diet and ignore working out and moving the body and sleeping and breathing and the hydration. Like everything is combined. So this idea of total human optimization, looking at the body in totality rather than on the micro level, um, I think that was always important. And uh, now, you know, on it's had enough time and we've had enough innovation to be able to provide tools to help the body in all the different stages. And as your kind of platform through on it has grown, you're, it's given you opportunity for your personal brand, for you to talk about things that matter to you in terms of, you know, your spiritual quests or your, your self work and self improvement. And how have you integrated kind of the person of Aubrey Marcus with the company of on it. And do you differentiate between those two? And do you see the missions as co-equals or how, how does that work? Well, 
on it doesn't doesn't play in the in the realm of spirituality Mm -hmm. we do play in the realm of mindset you know because mindset is really important i mean that's why you account for the placebo effect in every clinical trial right because the mind affects how the body reacts and responds so we do engage the mind with on it and i engage that on my personal brand as well but anything having to do with spirituality or love and relationships that's always going to be on the personal side Mm -hmm. because that's not what on it's about on it's about your body and your mind and then my personal brand talks about you know the missing gaps your spirituality and your relationship you know you talk about your book one of the early steps uh, that you have in approaching your day is to take a freezing cold shower for a few minutes um, and we've talked about before I've heard you talk about you know the, the fear that people have into turning that cold water on because they know what it's gonna be like do you get the sense that fear is the overriding factor that keeps people from challenging themselves or stepping into a better version of themselves? It's a, it is a factor. Um, it depends on how compli- how, how deep you want me to dive into this subject, because I think there's a lot of forces at work. I think we have internal forces of resistance that want to keep us from growing into our potential, want to keep us from doing the things that we know will bring us, the greatest fruition of what we want and whether that's a fear that if we achieve what we're looking for we'll have newfound responsibility and then we might fail and then it might be worse so it's better not to try maybe there's some of that or that if you achieve it you find that you you didn't find happiness through achievement and maybe yeah maybe that you have fewer outs right you know there's uh and maybe you're just afraid of doing the thing itself but it's it's very interesting i was just having a talk today who's with someone who does practice that cold exposure and breathing, which is something that I practice and still knowing after hundreds of times of doing it, we'll still go a week without doing it once. And then we'll, we'll look at ourselves like, why didn't I do that this week? I feel better every time I do it, but still for some reason I didn't do it. And it's the same with going to the gym and working out like reliably. I know that's going to make me feel better, but still some days I'll just be like, eh, nah, but why, you know, why? And that's the, that's the funny aspect of human nature is that we really know what we should do and what will make us feel better but some part of us doesn't want to do that and maybe we don't feel like we deserve to feel better maybe we're in some cycle of self-judgment where we feel like we deserve to be feeling exactly the same way that we do we don't deserve to be happy we don't deserve to be comfortable and confident so it's a it's a really a multiplicity of you know interesting psychological factors that can hold us back. But all it takes is just taking that one step and just using what I call mental override to just push you to do the thing, that very next thing that you know you, that you know you should do. Now you're getting together um, soon at the Paramount Theater with Gary Vanderjuk. Mm-hmm. And what brought you guys, I mean, I can see the similarities between you guys. I also see some, some big differences. Mm-hmm. This is y'all's first time on stage together, as I understand it. What what was it that brought you two together? Who sought out whom and why? You know, I think we just became aware of each other. Um, you know, he's always looking for people doing innovative things. People, he's highly interested in sports, and we work with a lot of the top athletes in the world. And I think we became aware of each other and just had like an initial conversation, a little initial meetup and found that despite having differences, there were some similarities. And I think our friendship really evolved when we got to step on the basketball court together and actually sweat and set some picks and you know 
shoot some hoops together and uh and that was where we gained another level of respect and i think we do have similar and different messages he's very motivating to kind of keep pushing and keep going and shed all of the ideas about what you should do and what parents told you you should do you know the 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 proverbial dad like i had who told me i should go into finance like forget about that do what you do what you want to do and when he really started talking about the roi on life being happiness not money you know that's when i think our message is really synced up and aligned in an interesting way um so i'm excited to get on there he's incredibly tactical and incredibly knowledgeable about how to push through those forces of resistance on that side and i'm really knowledgeable on all of the other different forces of resistance that we might encounter to all of the other elements of life so we have a nice bit of crossover and then you know nice areas where we can talk uh, with expertise about different subjects basketball is the most beautiful team sport right (laughs) beautiful is a funny word it is a great one but I think <laughs> I've always loved hockey too, even though I'm terrible at it. They're very I mean, similar, right? Except it's not they're very similar. Inside. Yeah, yeah. I, I think hockey's great. Um, I think I think it's really between basketball and hockey. Honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, those two seem to be the most full body, active, universally athletic kind of cooperative. Mm-hmm. The sports. geometry of them too, yeah, and the teamwork and the mindset. Yep. And you know, you hear people talk about their favorite athletes, and not to talk bad about one uh, team or another type of uh, sport, but people love talk hanging out with basketball players and they love hanging out with hockey players. Mm-hmm. Like hockey players are good dudes, they're good hangs. Basketball players are good hangs. Yep. So maybe there's something about, about the two different sports that carries over in that aspect as well. So when you talk about Gary talking about helping people do what it is that they want to do, achieving their goal or what have you, what about, or what do you say to the people that think, well, I'm ready to achieve my goal. I just don't know what it is. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you see in people or hear from people that are these main points of blockage for them? And we talked about fear earlier, obviously is one of them, but what if it's just the message isn't coming in to them about what it is that they want to do? I almost think that it's a, it's a, you get to that message less by addition than by subtraction. So instead of thinking that you need to figure, figure it out, you need to figure out what it's not. And you need to figure out what it's not by, if you have, if you have an idea, go for it. Like I figured out it wasn't gold mining, it wasn't finance, it wasn't, you know, all of these other things that I was doing. But I always knew kind of that human optimization was where I wanted to go. But I had to explore other things and eliminate other possibilities until I just had to accept the same whisper that I've had in my head the whole time. And I think so it's by removing all of these counter pressures and all of these other ideas that we're actually able to listen to ourselves. And I think we do really know what we're here to do. And so that'll give you your mission and that'll give you your path. And that may evolve. That may change. You know, what that is could be different at different times. Um, but I think really when you start removing all of the other noise, you can hear what comes to you in the quiet and, and that's, uh, and that's the goal. And would you say part of the physical goals of on it and the total human optimization is that it helps clear up the channel in order for the message to be received internally? Uh, Absolutely. If you don't have enough energy, if you're not sleeping well enough, if you're not 
working out, you're going to be caught in this maelstrom of internal things, whether it's inflammation or stress or, um, you know, anxiety or pressure or all of these other elements that are just going to make the noise level uh, and the chaos of your brain even that much higher. And you may not even have the energy to start your side hustle or start the transition from your current job where you're at to what you really want to do. So the more energy you have, I think the rate limiting factor, people always think it's time. Oh, I don't have time to be a writer. I don't have time to paint. I don't have time to do music. I don't think it's time. I think it's prioritization and energy. Did you see that article? I can't remember where it was recently about how procrastination didn't have anything to do with ADHD. It didn't have anything to do with prioritization. It had to do with people's emotional states and making themselves available to the task. Yep. And almost a way of punishing themselves. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really about getting, I think we have more resources than we realize. We just have to surrender ourselves fully to that process and be willing to make the sacrifices necessary to get there. What do you, what does it do for you? You know, you've through on it and through your own work, um, you know, you've created a following of sorts or not of sorts. You've created this massive following and people look to you for all sorts of stuff probably. And how do you bear the weight of, um, people's needs from you and contrarily what is it positive that you get out of being able to you know maybe help people in some way it's interesting because if you if you take that weight as a responsibility from an egoic sense like this is me and i'm doing this and i have a i have to do this because and i have to hold this and be responsible for all these people, then it can be really overwhelming. But if you just commit to, well, this is me and I'm here to share the truth and do my best. And if people gain from that, great. And if people don't gain from that, that's fine too. And so you almost have to sidestep this whole ego roller coaster, which is like, this is me and this is what I'm doing and look at me go. And cause that's just going to set you on this up and down. You really just have to be, be yourself you know, be truthful, help as much as you can be of service as much as you can. And if it helps people, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. And it's really the only way to do it. So if you get really excited about that one person you helped, then you're going to get really bummed about that one person who criticizes you, you know, so you just have to commit yourself to the higher principles, which to me is truth and telling the truth and trust that that may help some people may piss some people off but regardless if i commit myself to truth and doing my best that's always the best i can do so you're eliminating attachment to results positive or negative on you know with with those people i guess as it were exactly you have to you have to detach from the results and focus on the process what do you think you guys are talking about you and gary vanderchuk at the paramount theater um are talking about trying to have ROI be happiness and not money. So it's pretty obvious what money is and how you can, the various ways you can go about getting money to shift to it being about happiness. What it, how does that paradigm shift work and what does it look like? How do you focus on having a return of investment be happiness? When do you know that you're starting to see returns? You got to come to the Paramount Theater on May 1st and answer that question there with me and Gary. That's what we're asking. We're going to put a couple hours into that and uh, and help people get to that result. 
But I think really the first step is just understanding that that should be your priority. Like money doesn't equate to happiness. We have all the statistics that show that, that the that income level that equates to the highest degree of happiness from a statistic standpoint is $87,000 a year, mm-hmm. which is definitely a, a reach for some people. And that's something that, and explain you, that that means people's happiness goes up relative to their increase in salary until they hit 87,000. Then, and then it, goes it levels down. off or, and then goes down. Yep. Yep. So that's what the statistics show, right? So it's like, that's the amount that basically covers your basic necessities eliminate some of the stress that um, you know stress about where you're going to live and what you're going to eat and, and all of these different things. Um, but anything over that, you know, as famously was once said, "more money, more problems." You know, <laughs> like it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happier. So, and, and that eighty that eighty seven thousand is an average, right? For some people, that might be forty thousand. For other people, it might be one hundred and twenty or a million, whatever. But it's it's different, and it's the money isn't. It's not like a linear equation that just goes up. And if and the billionaires are the happiest people on the planet, because I promise you, I've met billionaires. They're not typically the happiest people on the planet. And there's so many of them that seems like I can't remember who I saw at a famous futurist at South by Southwest. But he's talking about how all the billionaires he's talked talked to are trying to figure out how they can make enough money to cordon themselves off from the end of the world, basically. And like, what kind of happiness is? is that what kind of engagement is that right exactly there's i mean it's again there's there's happy billionaires for sure you know there's there's outliers but um it's not it's not that linear equation so you have to put other priorities first you have to nourish yourself from some of the simpler things in life to really find that sustainable happiness and remove yourself from the very sticky seductive alluring attachment to making money which will feed your ego and feed your identity and feed all of these things and becomes a prison that you built yourself that now you have to live in. And so, um, you know, it's an interesting dance and, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting into that with Gary on stage. And the day after the Paramount, you guys are having another event and add on to the Paramount event in East Austin. What does that entail? What does that look like? I'm a, I'm as equally as excited about that as I am for being on stage at the Paramount because this involves a couple of my favorite people on the planet. NQ, who I think is the best living spoken word poet, period, that we have on this planet. He's going to come and lead a poetry workshop. He'll also be on stage doing some stuff for the event on May 1st. Um, then we have David Rutherford, who's one of the most positive human beings I've ever encountered. He's a former Navy SEAL, an inspirational coach and speaker. Um, and obviously been through some of the toughest places on the planet as a Navy SEAL, the toughest situations you can imagine, but his positivity, it just radiates. It's infectious. And then Emily Fletcher, who's one of the top meditation teachers in the world, and will be doing masterminds and exercises, and you'll have access to myself and um, just spend a great day with a small group of people, you know, really, really working on going deeper. So day one, setting that kind of grander picture, and then day two, getting granular. All right, how do we start making the steps to make our, you know, our happiness come forward, make our ROI actually yield happiness? And that's what day two is going to be about, the boots on the ground, practical, pragmatic ways to get there. So final question, there are no shortcuts to happiness and there's no shortcuts to optimization but if somebody made you give them three keys three things they can do for themselves tomorrow 
that would make their lives better or that they could try and do tomorrow and the next day that they'd see a tangible effect on their lives what would you say (laughs) get back to the basics you know get some sunlight in the morning drink some good water get some sleep have some sex move your body you know like get to the basics and really like be present and get to the very simple things that we all have available to us and once you set your baseline of you know getting sunlight getting sleep having sex working out you know eating nourishing food staying hydrated all of those things then from there you can start to layer on everything else to continue your improvement but get back to the basics first and then from there add on everything else sweet thanks for your time man yeah thank you that's our show thanks for listening and thanks to our sponsor copenhagen furniture check out the austin 360 instagram and facebook pages for more about life in austin and talk to us on twitter at love austin 360 and please leave us a review on itunes it helps other people find our podcast I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, is a production of the feature staff at the Austin American Statesman. This episode was produced by Alyssa Vidalis. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com. We couldn't do this show without you listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your time, and your comments. Until next week, we'll be taking freezing cold showers, spending time in float tanks, and looking for ways to better ourselves. Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now, at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Breaker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983. Thank you.